Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Guitar are teaming up with Music Nomad. Since 2010, Music Nomad Equipment Care has been making premium and innovative guitar care products used and trusted every day by top guitar repair shops, guitar makers and touring techs in over 40 countries. Pro quality but affordable, Music Nomad is also the go-to for countless guitar players around the globe to help guitars look, sound and play their best. After two years of research and development and in a collaboration with top guitar repair shops, Music Nomad has developed the Keep It Simple setup. They demystified the guitar setup process by developing innovative precision gauges and tools combined with step-by-step general guidelines anybody can follow and set up their guitar to play and sound great. With their KISS method and their gauges, you can check the vital areas of your guitar and use their toolkits to perform your own setups. They have a 24-page instructional booklet available in seven languages, downloadable for free, loads of how-to videos, as well as complete setup video tutorials for popular brands such as Fender, Gibson, Taylor, PRS and more. Not only is it fun, but a properly set-up guitar takes your playing and sound to a whole new level. Learn more at music nomadcare.com follow them on social media with at music nomad care and kiss your guitar with music nomads keep it simple setup Hello and welcome to the Guitar Nerds Podcast, the world's number one guitar podcast. I am your host, Joe Brandt, and joined this week by Matt Knight. Hello, Mr. Joe. This is take two, Joe. We should probably probably explain. (laughs) I I guess this is maybe coming out later for some people than uh, than usual. I did put out a statement on uh, on both uh, on both our Patreon and uh, on our Guitar Nerds group on Facebook that the podcast is late this week because you and me we we hooked up to attempt to record this on our, our usual Monday evening, but um, my, my my internet uh, supplier had uh, had changed my internet feed for a potato. Uh, that day so it was uh it, it, it was difficult it was difficult for us to even co- hold a conversation we tried didn't we it's, we made it about um, 10 minutes through but it was just it didn't work it's it, it's amazing i mean you know stating the obvious here but how much we rely on technology and it, do you know what i think there was a there was a, a a meme uh doing the rounds on the internet today which was 
On this day in 2002, Kelly Rowlands texted Usher via Microsoft <laughs> Excel. And um, and uh, it, I think it was in some music video or something. Yeah, I just yeah, think, I remember it. You know, we're on like 5G now. And I remember like, WAP. You know, or whatever. <laughs> just going, yeah, it's just like, you know, there wasn't really any web pages then. And you just think, we used to sit there and download single songs off LimeWire or Napster, and it would oh, take Napster. an entire yeah. day. And you just go, man, like now you get annoyed if Netflix like takes like more than 10 seconds to load. <laughs> well, you know, from a marketing perspective, like people switch off if they can't w- watch something on YouTube within the first like five seconds. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, the fact that we tried to do a podcast with no internet... Um, was uh yeah impossible yeah very very painful (laughs) but um but yeah it's it's good to be back because of course last week we uh we put out a podcast it's been a couple of weeks since we've sat down and recorded a podcast because i guess you were off um last week and and i've been away on tour i've done a nine day tour so last week's podcast was recorded ahead of its release and that was with jay and naomi so it's been a little while since we've podded and I am I am exhausted. Nine, <laughs> nine consecutive dates is far, far too many to do in a row. I fully regret that. And on the back of, you know, all of this sort of lockdown and, and no gigs, going from no gigs to nine gigs in a row was uh, was too much. I regret it. I um, am. And, and we'll talk about it in a bit more detail. But it, do, it does make me... Um, you know, think what it must be like to be on tour for well years. I, I, yeah, but if if you're talking about on a professional level, I think yeah. there's a big difference to sort of to having uh, you know a tour bus with beds or being put up in nice hotels, um, and also you know not having to lug your own gear on and off stage. I think there is a, I'm sure, you know, it is very challenging, but I think uh, uh, the toilet circuit, as James Johnston affectionately referred to it when uh, when I was talking to him about him, like Biffy gigging before they were famous, the toilet circuit is definitely the most grueling and tough circuit you can do. (laughs) I, uh... Uh, I, I think I've talked about it on the pod before, but I, I have, you know, I've done my own mini tour uh, playing uh, playing bass. And I remember just going into a venue desperate for the toilet. I'm like, no locks, no locks, no locks. And you're just like, <laughs> oh my God, like where are all the locks? And just like, yeah, it gets, it gets, uh, it gets pretty brutal, doesn't it? Um, yes. Yes, but I, and, I, and I guess like you say, you're, you know, with you and, you know, someone of polymaths, kind of level and the kind of tours that you're doing it you've got no downtime have you there's no like chill out time in one sense because yeah you're constantly talking to people you've got no tour bus to escape to you're either on the road or lugging in gear or at a venue um or on the merch stand immediately afterwards you know yeah um, and probably more drinking and partying uh perhaps than uh, a, a huge world tour like uh something that was 14 months long yeah um yeah there's no there's no manager there to tell you that you know really sort of you know these sort of 10 shots is a bad idea when you've got a four-hour drive and another show tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) well i was i remember talking to um 
Alex, uh, my friend Alex Hutchins, fantastic player who did the Steve last big Stephen uh, Wilson tour. And, you know, I think that was 14 months, 180 gigs. And uh, wow. he just said, you get into this wow. like crazy routine where you're like, you've got to be on the bus by like 2 a.m., you know, and Oof. the but you wait, you, you fall asleep, you wake up, and you're in like a different place and you just sort of get off the bus. But he's like, you know, breakfast, by the time you get up, like lunch is made by a caterer that's on tour with you. Uh, and then like every day at three o'clock, it's like sound check. And then you've done sound check and then you've got like a few hours to chill out. And then, but he's like, you're just not at home. You never settle. So, it can, right. you know, it sort of drains on you after a while that you're just, you know, you're in a bus for days on end or in a hotel, for, you know, but you're never in the same place for long enough to go and see anything or do anything unless you have a, a, a day off. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You, I bet it's just being you're being wheeled out for a purpose. You're just the you're just a tool on on, yeah. on a tour, aren't you? That's... Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk. Let's talk about you then, Joe. How well, it, how yeah, was so, it? It was it was very good. But you know, before before we do, because we're going to talk about gear and stuff. You know, the, well, the the tour was fantastic. I was surprised at how good the turnout um, was for for the shows because you know it's still a tricky time um it's still you know there's still a pandemic going on i was really impressed with our with our booking agent and all of the venues who all put out every venue that we played you had to provide a negative lateral flow some venues um also allowed uh the covid pass but you know of course that's Mm -hmm. That doesn't really. You can still catch it. So most most places were saying you had to show a negative lateral flow, and uh, you know I was speaking to some of the promoters, and they were saying that they were seeing a, a 40 percent drop off. But we had wow really strong uh, sort of from on ticket purchasing to people turning up. That is, but we had really strong turnouts at all of the shows. We sold out London, which was really nice. Played Amazing. in a played in a venue called Paper Dress Vintage, which was oh, it was so wonderfully hackney. Uh, you you couldn't <laughs> believe it. It's a it's a vintage shop by day with a coffee shop attached. In the mornings next door to it, they have Paper Dress Yoga, so they do yoga classes in the mornings next door. And above the vintage shop uh, is a venue um, and bar, so they have a a, a one fifty cap venue uh, above there with a great sound system fantastic sound guy and a wonderful fellow who who called michael who runs the runs the whole business and uh you know that uh, that was that was wonderful that was of course the night that it, it would have been great to see you but you had tickets to something else you went to see square pusher i did i did um and, and just before we talk about that on a side note you say wonderfully hackney or like east london i got a yeah. random instagram advert which I, which i posted which was like available now apartments in shoreditch starting at Eight hundred ninety-nine thousand pounds. You just like <laughs> it's like you know East London, bit rough, you know. But it's got these classy upmarket shops like that because most people that live there are basically billionaires. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah, no, miss, missed you because um, yeah, I went to see Square Pusher, which was a gig. Unbelievably, I booked in November of twenty nineteen. Um, who would have thought? Two years later, <laughs> would have actually <laughs> gone to see that gig. Um, and yeah, I clutched onto those tickets tight as it was like a kind of 
yeah, it's going to happen one day, and things are going to be back to normal. And um, I um, I don't know how much our international, and by international, I mean people who aren't in the UK audience, will know Square Pusher. Yeah, it's it's. I guess what's interesting for me is I'm into electronica and, and kind of weird uh, electronica like Square Pusher and Aphex Twin, and I guess the US seems to be going through this big uh edm edm edm's just happened to them it happened to us in the in the early 90s yeah i think uh what's the really big artist in america marshmallow the guy that wears like a marshmallow for a head Mm. um and yeah we we kind of went i mean obviously the birth of like the rave scene in the late 80s early 90s gave way to like prodigy who are like international obviously internationally famous but there was a lot of other acts that came out of it one of which was square pusher the other which was apex twin that took things in a far more technical and root of i guess in somewhat madness um you know if you listen to like tech metal now it's like the electronical equivalent of like tech metal um <laughs> in some ways yeah. but square electronica pusher, meshuggah that's uh, yeah that's electronica meshuggah. um but yeah square pusher is was a really early i wouldn't say like definitely not drum and bass it was early kind of like electronica that took elements from lots of other things like acid house and and uh and things like that and he's always been relatively underground with a, a big following but the main thing with square pusher is that he is actually a bass player um and a fantastic bass player i think guthrie govan and him actually went to the same school and i think guthrie was like oh he's the best bass player i've ever seen and uh I knew that obviously he was bass player, and I was like, right, this is going to be wicked, because he's going to fuse all this electronic stuff with bass playing. He comes out, he's playing a six-string uh, pink Spectre. Um, <laughs> it's just, like, ridiculous, um, which I have no idea what amp he was using. He clearly had a, like, 6U rack with his laptop on top, and he had some stuff on the desk and definitely some pedals on the floor. But he had really, like, nailed the sound of a roland tb303 that kind of like acid house bass sound but he was playing it live on it on his bass which was cool it's really subby stuff and then towards the end he was doing this like it was like a whammy but it was going up and down millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Through the pitch, like chromatically, but stepped. So you know how like a whammy's really smooth, like someone's gliding up the string. Yeah. This was more like incremental. So it's like going up an octave, but it was it was quick, but you could tell it was like stepped. Yeah, it had like, fixed steps. I, I I love the idea of that. Like you hear um there are bits and bobs on uh, on Francis the Mute where Omar does things like that. And I think you know, I don't think it's he's not obviously foot controlling it. I think he's doing it with his hand with something like a a boss harmonist or that sort of thing. But I did mm. find with the boss harmonist uh on the MS3, if you assign the uh, the intervals or the you know whatever the, the the pitch control to an expression pedal you can do that you get like a stepped version of a of a whammy i remember mm. doing that trying to create a whammy and did that and was like oh this is not what i wanted but actually i really like this but it's a really interesting sound isn't it that's not used very often yeah yeah absolutely so he had a bunch of weird stuff going on i'd, I'd love to know what he was using, um, and there's very, very little on the internet. I think he's been yeah. out of the limelight, shall we say, for the last sort of like five or six years. And I think he's generally been one of those people that's relatively secretive, not just about the gear that he uses, but in just in terms of like being an artist. Right. Um, and, and I think very similar to Aphex Twin in in that as well. So there's not really much about what he did or what he does now there's stuff about what he did in in the early days and using the old gear that everyone did that you could find in you know junk shops that's now worth thousands of pounds because the demand is there um and uh yeah i i I thought maybe i'll just reach out to him just be like yeah so i'm not reaching out to you from a musical perspective just want to know what gear you use (laughs) so i'm sure he doesn't get that question that often but i do get the feeling he is probably quite into um into guitar effects and uh yeah yeah, into into sounds and into noise but very very good gig it was a full-on audio visual type thing as well so um you know there's loads of lights and and all of that but yeah some some really just generally like nuts bass playing like yeah i bet it's it's jazz fusion meets full-on hardcore electronica um and well worth a listen if you haven't listened to it uh definitely go and listen to some square pusher for some some unique ideas i think um yeah but yes yeah, very very cool absolutely yeah he is he is brilliant and interesting and weird and has very odd sort of like a almost double thumb slap techniques on a six string bass it's uh yeah, quite I, something. I get the feeling he's probably like really into like jazz fusion, but also really into like synthesizers, which is an yeah. ideal com- <laughs> a combination in uh, in some ways. But yeah, very very cool. But unfortunately, yes, I had to miss your gig, Joe. And yeah, after two quite years right, of waiting, right. um, <laughs> what a shame that somehow they managed to fall on exactly the same day. Ah uh, well, ah uh, well, yes. But um, well, you, you know that's uh, that's quite all right. I, uh, I I would have been too busy that night to uh, to talk anyway. I, I, you know, I hate that, isn't it? When you go and see a mate's band and you haven't seen them for very long, uh, you haven't seen them for a long time, and then you're like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to go and see my mate's band. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they're really busy. Like, 
being in a band and that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, but it was it was wonderful. The London show was definitely a, a highlight for me. Lots of lots of fun and great to be back out as as well. Just great to be back out meeting other bands, watching other bands as well, and you know getting geeky about the gear i really love that that part of being in the in the scene that i'm in 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 sort of you know math rock prog post rock tech metal those sorts of uh post metal those sorts of bands that i get to play alongside you always get such interesting and diverse setups um Mm. you know even at the smaller gigs so it's I, i love chatting to the other bands about what they're using and also seeing you know what what equipment what weird sounds what what you can be inspired by you know because it's if you go out to a gig, it's probably because it's a band you know and you want to see them. So I really enjoy that I get to see bands that I don't know. Uh, every so night you um, tour. you toured with another band for the whole the whole time, right? But also, obviously, there was quite a few support bands. At That's each, right. Yeah, each yeah, gig. yeah. So m- most nights obviously be a three, sometimes four band bill. There was the occasional two band bill. I think some promoters still being a little cautious around, you know, around COVID restrictions. But yes, we toured with a band called Codices and uh, they, they were quite refreshing to see because whilst they're a, a new band, um, a new, newish band, um, their their equipment was quite old school in as far as, um, in as far as math rock's concerned. I, I feel like these sorts of genres have where it all started, where big pedal boards started and people started trying to make weird noises. It was all about, you know, there were no switches or anything. You just had lots of weird effects, you know, some of them weird cheap things and big homemade boards and stuff. And then as many amps as you could fit on a stage. And Mm. as things have progressed, we've now got, um, you know, math rock includes, you know, the sort of thing that Rabia Massad does. So now we've got switching systems, MIDI controlled stuff, smaller boards that make more sounds and people are using, you know, rigs are, are getting smaller. You think about, you know, Rabia's little 212 and his, um, uh, oh, uh, I'm, I'm having a mind blank about the brand head. Well, I he think, uses. oh, uh, well, he's got uh, obviously Victory. Victory, but Victory, there stuff, we are. Sorry, it, just, it went for a second. But even now, you know, I've seen him post a couple of things like more recently that's, um, that uh, it's just him and a quad cortex, a, quad, a neural DSP quad cortex. Yeah. I think that's the way he's going exactly, yeah. and that that's definitely that's what I feel is happening now. People are doing that sort of thing, um, and but codices were very much like Origins setup. So they had two guitarists. Uh, one was playing a, a Black Star. I, I, I'm not very good with Black Star gear. I don't know it very well because I don't like it that much, but. <laughs> uh, it was just a black star head and a 212 cab. The other guitarist um, was playing through just a Fender Twin. <laughs> and then his pet, neither of them had switches on their pedal board. Right. Um, and uh, Asher, the guitarist using the Fender Twin, for example, he his delay pedal was a an electro harmonics memory man deluxe but nice. he needs two different sounds from that pedal at different times so he's got it on his board twice he has two memory man deluxes on there just because he has no ability to 
MIDI switch. There's no presets available to him. He can't change anything on the fly mid setup. He doesn't have a, a multi effects or anything like that. So he's just bought two of the same. And when I when I thought about when I saw that, it reminded me of all the times that actually that was often the case. You saw a lot yeah. of bands, especially in the scene, especially in post rock, with maybe a couple of DD threes or DD sevens. Um, was was yeah. you know often the case. Yeah, I think um, I always remember the first. Oh, I can't remember his name. Um, but the guitar player from Block Party, the first record, Silent Alarm, which is still one of my all-time favourite records. It's just fantastic. Tonally uh, for guitar is oh, fantastic. It's amazing. Dear listener, if you've not heard Silent Alarm by Block Party, it's well worth checking out. Yeah, I don't, very, know, very I don't know how big they are in America, actually. Right, um, but, uh, yeah, the guitar player always had, I think, two or three dd5s right because it was just like again you know there was a glitch you know you've got the glitch mode and and stuff like that and i mean nick reinhardt another classic example of having like two or three of the same boss delay pedal um on his on his board for for that same sort of reason and you forget now how uh how easy we have it you know like we were saying earlier with with the internet you sort of forget that there was a time when uh you basically had to yeah, you, you, I guess you didn't pick a pedal and just stick with that one sound. But yeah, if you if you were using two or three sounds in quick succession, you kind of had to do that. I mean, yeah, I always remember, yeah. you know, thinking back to um, Mike Einzinger from Incubus and talking about his pedal board. And he's used the same pedal for years, but he was just like, yeah, you change the settings between every song. So you've got to remember where all the settings are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on your pedal board or have these massive pedal boards that I guess in some ways inspire a little bit more experimentation because you're kind of flicking between different things and setting things up and nothing's ever going to be the same you know whereas you're using a pedal board with a switching system things are way more consistent rigid yeah yeah when when i when i interviewed nick reinhardt you know years ago about um like about why he didn't use a switcher and he said because he thinks it stifles creativity if Mm. you're just if you've just got the the same options every time how are you going to come up with new sounds yeah i think what what's interesting is i've i've definitely um you know i found that having a switching system in esa allows you to create more settings like you would in a multi-effects like i've been using gt1000 core quite a lot and you can you know mess around and create stuff but it's not instant you kind of have to like make a bunch of settings and then you play it for a bit and then you're like i need to tweak that and then you have to go into a menu and tweak that and less so with the menu when you're using an es8 with a bunch of pedals but again you're sort of like tweaking stuff and playing around and when you've just got loads of pedals without a switcher you can just hit stuff on and off and be far more reactive um which i always think is is pretty cool um and that's why i always kind of have just like a, a flat pedal board with a power supply on it so if i just want to plug some pedals that aren't on a pedal board in and just sort of mess around you can sort of still have a bit of fun uh that way but i guess yeah that's um we were talking me and you joe were talking before the podcast about uh, an article that i saw which i think we're going to talk about in the patreon which was every one alderette and uh omar pedal board rodriguez lopez pedal board from 2003 to like 2020 or something <laughs> and uh, exactly that you know i will talk about it i'm sure we'll talk about it in patreon but you know one had at one point had 
three pedal boards. And I think, yeah, Omar had like three pedal boards. And that's what I grew up. And the same for you, you know, getting getting into pedals. That was it. It's just like you had a big pedal board with lots of pedals and no switcher and you tap danced a lot. Yeah. Yeah, switches, switches were late to the game. You know, to be honest, me and Tim only even moved to switches when uh, we did the, the MS3 thing. You know, before then we, we weren't doing it. And, and, and I'd always been a little bit wary of them because of, because of that thing. Like the only people really using switching systems were bands that weren't tonally interesting. Like metal bands would use switching systems. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, if you if you want to create weird noises, surely you need everything available to you with a rotary control right in front of you on the board. But you know, that's it's, yeah. I, there, there are ways around it. Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of tonal variation in the eighties with the big refrigerator racks, and you know, certainly, you know, one of my favourite looking rigs of all time is Dave Gilmore's or David Gilmore's. Um, you know, like nineties guitar rack and actually more recently i think the last time he was on tour in 2018 or 2019 his like two basically refrigerator stacks of like rack units and then pedals on top i'm like yeah it is super cool to have that and yeah every night it's going to sound consistent but there is something said to just grabbing four or five pedals and just plung some stuff in and going hmm. what sort of sounds can i get out of this sort of thing today yeah yeah exactly absolutely but it was uh it was it was a bit of a lighter tour to be honest for for me and tim the the guitarist in polymath we were trying to been trying to minimize our setup since our our keys player is playing like you know he's got three different keyboards so there's a lot of stands and keyboards he runs he has an he has a pedal board for his keyboards then we've got our sax player who plays a normal sax and a baritone sax and a baritone sax is the size of a man and then he also goes through I yeah, had, I had. No, I knew that they were they were deep, but I didn't know they were that big. The 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 in a hard case, it is. Yeah, it's it's as it's it's a guitar case. You know, it's it's uh, that and a bit more. They're absolutely massive, and then he has his own pedal board as well of effects. So there's quite a lot to get in the van. Um, and you know, we we've got we we own our own transit, but it's a six seater transit. And so it's not a long wheelbase because long wheelbases are much more expensive. Mm. So those extra, those three seats at the at the back cut into your storage space. It's 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 to get a band in there with full backline and drum kit. It is tight. And Tim, of course, he plays a, a double amp rig as well. And we've got to bring a couple of guitars for our various tunings and things like that. So stuff stuff gets packed in very quickly. Um, so oh, there's a fire at yours, Matt. Yeah, there's, uh, I think, uh, Amy's obviously just trying to, you know, smoke me out. Set you on fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, so, you know, Tim's got his, uh, his two boss katanas that he's using. One as a normal amp and one amp that he punches in and out, which is basically running through an octaver and a bunch of drive. And he just uses as a sort of, a almost like adding another bass guitar uh, onto the big riffs and things like that. So that's his double amp rig. But he's uh, he'd restricted his pedal board a little bit. Obviously, the MS3, the Boss MS3, is the brains of both my and Tim's pedal boards. But he'd done things like, because he was moving on to a smaller size pedal board, 
And the MS3 only has so many patches. Like you can have two effects, a delay, a reverb, two modulations. You know, th- those are the sort of, um, yeah, whatever, the, the, the patches that you can add to mm. a, a single sound. Sometimes Tim needs, a, a, you know, something extra. And we found that thanks to the Katana, we can, like all the Katana's effects, if we have an extra cable running into the Katana and into the MS3, we can use the MS3 to trigger some of the onboard stuff on the, uh, on the Katana as well. So he gets these all of these extra effects out of that. So just by, you know, thinking a little economically, you know, he's come up with a really interesting way to keep all his weird tones and reduce his pedal board, which is, which was very helpful. And uh, I'd, I'd reduced my board massively this time. I had, uh, I basically, I was running a, uh, an, an Ashdown compressor uh, into the MS3. And then um, I was running that out into uh, the Boss uh, BB-1X, the bass driver, um, which was actually my amp sound because in, instead of normally I'd bring my CTM-300, a big two-man lift valve head in a hard in a big, you know, flight case. Couldn't fit that in. Now I've got my ABM-600. I don't have a flight case for that and I didn't want to pack it in, you know, because getting knobs snapped off or, or anything like that in, in transit. And also, to be honest, once you've put that into a flight case, it's not much smaller than a CTM anyway. Um, and so I was looking at sort of the Class D things I have and I have a, a discontinued version of a head that Ashdown made, the original 500. It's a 500-watt head with a five-band EQ and basically they made it to be completely clean Class D power. Like you set everything in the middle on that EQ and it's just a conduit of volume. Um, so using that that bass driver, which has a lovely sort of, um, you've got a blend control on there. You can keep enough of your clean coming through, but drive it a little bit just to get it hairy enough. Just like the way valve amps break up when you dig in, makes it a very dynamically transparent light amp drive tone, mm. which I'm a, a, a big fan of. I, I used to use it as a drive pedal. I used to really struggle with it because I found like trying to get proper gain out of it was a bit fizzy. But, you know, taking, you know, turning that drive down, blending in some of your clean sound, and it is just a gorgeous... You know, I got more compliments on my tone on this tour than I think I ever had. Waste and away. It's, it's the cheapest rig I have ever toured. Um, and, yeah, I, you know, I was, uh, I was very happy with it. I was... The, I, it, it is actually the cheapest rig I've ever toured because the bass I took with me was a Squire Classic Vibe jazz bass. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I that, have that, my old... Considering how, what basses you do have, Joe, that is um, <laughs> pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. I well, the the problem was the night. You know, the night before we went on tour, we had a, a last band practice. I had my uh, '60s reissue jazz bass. It's got like an Omega bridge on it, a pair of EMGs um, loaded, and uh, you know, I, I was playing that at the practice. And I'd been playing this Inca Silver Squire jazz bass for the weeks previous, and this was the first time I'd set up the Fender properly for that practice. And I was like, yeah, it sounds great, but. I just want to just want to try the Squire quickly, and I plugged the Squire in, and, and there wasn't much in it, but the Squire did sound slightly better. I know that sounds 
ridiculous, but there's something about those those cheap um, uh, the the pickups that they that they put in those squires. Um, uh, what what were they? I can't remember what they are. It doesn't matter. But the the cheap pickups that went in those those classic vibe squires, they're actually fantastic for for taking drives. Uh, they're fantastic right. for like high output stuff. Maybe you know not so good if what you want is a really deep. If you if you want clarity and um, I guess. A, a decent sort of low end and things like that, but if if what you want is something like a little bit brittle, quite bright and trebly, that they're, they're they're really good. Which is kind of the sound I want. You know, I want this drivey cutting. I'm going to be loading a lot of effects into you know th- running through the bass. So you need a really defined high end for bass effects to be audible. Yeah, um, it, it, it sounded great. So yeah, I I taught a three hundred pound bass. A discontinued head, which cost less than three hundred pounds when it existed, and uh, like three or four pedals. <laughs> yeah, damn. <laughs> I, I, so, what bases did you take in the end? Did you take? Did you have some spare ones? Sorry, I don't know if you. I, no, that. I just, I just took the two. I just took the the Fender sixties jazz, which stayed in its case the whole time, and barely even having to tune it because it was such a flawless instrument. Um, the Squire Classic Vibe Jazz Bass, which is still in production. I have a limited edition Inca Silver one, which is no longer in production, but you can still pick up a whole range of colours in in that model. And I have to say, dear listener, you know, if you want a if you want a bass, and and you're not looking at short scale, I know we you know we're always saying Broncos for short scale, but if you want something that's actually professional grade, accidentally professional grade. Uh, base material then the the squire classic vibe jazz bass is absolutely incredible nice but you know the the real story comes with the cab so the cab uh that i took with me was my classic series 115 which is a 115 in a 410 chassis so it's not so compact but i took it with me anyway and um on something like the the third or fourth show, we were out for dinner and it happened to be we, we were in Manchester and apparently everything in Manchester is shut. So it, it took us <laughs> 40, 40 minutes to find a restaurant that was open. Um, but what, you know, before we, we or were, after the gig? Well, this is before we wanted to see all the support bands, but on it, it just took so long walking around Manchester trying to find somewhere wow. that was open. Um, but we, you know, we... we, we basically had to miss the the two support bands including codices and i got a call or a message you know whilst we were eating saying the uh the cab had blown up uh during codices set and uh you know, i was i was obviously rather upset and wondering what you know what on earth i was going to do as well for the show um and we managed to we managed to call in a favor and and had someone bring around a, a combo just in time for for our set so that was okay but you know i i wasn't there so i couldn't say what the problem was their bass player uses a galian kruger 700 rb that puts out like 450 watts into eight ohms which is a right. totally reasonable amount for a, a 500 watt rated eight ohm cab to take um but you know i hadn't seen it so all, all i could do was apologize um and i <laughs> i called up ashdown um, cause the next night, I think we were going to be in, uh, in Bristol and said, look, you know, is there anything you can do? And they, uh, they 
bought a cab from PMT in Bristol for me. Brilliant. <laughs> so, so the next morning I could just turn up at PMT and the guys at PMT in Bristol are lovely. Joe, who runs the runs the shop, is fantastic. And it's it's probably my favourite PMT. And um yeah, they 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 helped me out. Got me uh it was actually much better. It was one of the ABM half size fifteen, so it was a nice small compact fifteen inch um uh, uh cab really good sounded great on the rest of the tour until the last show in brighton when codices with their galian kruger 700 rb blew it up again unbelievable i know i know um, and i was there unbelievable. for it i was Literally, there for it this time so the- when you say blow up do it actually blow the speaker it's- like it smelt of burning they stopped playing right. because it smelt of burning on stage so it was the last show and they had to miss out their last song said no bass and it smelt of burning and i smelt the cab and i was like yeah this whole thing's cooked like something's wrong with your head you know the, what is it? it it has to be sending i you know i don't know enough about this stuff but obviously something's wrong for it to do it to two separate cabs and different cabs both both of which are rated, you know, more than enough to handle what, what that head should be throwing through it. But, you know. <sighs> that, that, so. I mean, that is, that is mad. I, I wonder if it was literally, I guess if it was, if it smelt like burning and it wasn't the amp, then I guess mm. the magnets on the speaker, because ultimately the speakers out, are taking yeah. a load, aren't they? You know, they're taking yeah. heat, you know. Um, so... Yeah, it yeah. must have been a, such a powerful output from the amp that it was literally just yeah. too much for the... the there, there must be something. Something's wrong with the, the Galen where it's 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 sending through too much, you know, juice. But I don't know enough about this sort of thing to kind of stipulate about it on the on the podcast. Very fortunately, we were playing Pipeline um, in Brighton, which has a very good in-house backline that consisted of an Ampeg... Uh, like 410 so i was able to wheel that out and play that for the last show <laughs> so i i i was fortunately say i think i'd be much more angry about this if it had affected a uh a polymath show but you know i am down two cabs <laughs> that and, uh, is a pain in the ass <laughs> oh yeah yeah i mean I'm, I'm, tomorrow i'm going to ashdown kind of gonna have to sort of beg them to to fix <laughs> a couple of cabs for me but uh but we'll see you have to spec we'll out see. your own joe branton signature bass cab oh yeah yeah that's what i want yeah that's what i want to spec out my own because it i guess cab. different to the because you've got the custom shop ones as well haven't you that are mm. uh yeah. cotton lined or whatever yeah that's right cotton wool lined 115s where do they stay then do they stay in your lockup well that's the f- one of the ones that was blown up oh it was, was one uh, of the ones that blown yeah up. Right. i've got two of those but yeah they live in my lockup right i thought so they were much one of those is blown up. than uh, yeah, four ten housing. So I mean, which is pretty big for a one fifteen. Mm. But yeah, so what, I'm down one of them, and uh, and it's such a shame. I really liked that little fifteen, so uh, I'll I'll probably get that fixed. Nice. So when I did want to, I want to make the move on to twelves. You know, I want I want a, I want a mini rig. I want a tiny rig. It's only for monitoring anyway these days, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. You you guys haven't moved to in ear monitors, have you? You don't play to a click either. So no, although no. Does Our, uh, Chris, your drummer plays. 
Does he play to a click? He, not to not to a click, but we have like a lot of arpeggios running off of the keyboards. So he is on in ears to those, and so is our sax player. But me and Tim are old school. We don't even wear earplugs, which is why I can't. Oh, Joe! <laughs> I can't wear them whilst I'm playing. I wear them whilst I'm watching bands. I just can't wear them whilst I'm playing. Right. But uh, I, I, there were some loud stages. On yeah. This tour, so I'm. Uh, no, earplugs are super important. I mean, I, I haven't been to a gig for two, year, two years, like a big loud one. So obviously when I went to Squarepush and I put um, put some earplugs in and, uh, you know, some sort of relatively good ones. Unfortunately, I lost some really good ones uh, at a small jazz gig that I went to about six months ago. Uh, you're one of those things where you think you've put them in your back pocket and actually you've just oh. not. not. Uh, so I got some new ones and I put them in. And I think the secret for me has always been put them when you're in when you're in the queue outside so your ears start to adjust to like a lower decibel level and then Smart. just keep wearing them. Because I think if, you, if the loud music starts and you put them in, you've sort of heard how sort of loud it was but you're sort of used to it and then you put them in you're like oh everything sounds muffled but i, I took one ear out and i was like i cannot believe because you know most headphones i guess are knocking out around 15 decibels yeah i would have thought it's something between 15 yeah. and 20 and because yeah. this square pressure thing seemed really loud i mean you could feel the music so i got my right you know decibel meter out on my phone and was like it was peaking out at about 115 116 super super loud and you think even with you know um even with 15 16 decibels on still 100 uh decibels you know so still really loud but yeah I, i always have to say just you've got you've got to uh you've just got to wear them but i i know from playing gigs before it's always it's always difficult isn't it you know because you want ones that are kind of like shaped to your ears and you want things that are, that I guess, you know, give you the best possible sound. And that's why I always I can't imagine what it must be like to play with in-ears to, um, you know, when maybe the drummer's playing to a click, but you can hear tr- a click, but you're hearing like a perfect mix in your ear. You can't really hear the audience. Um, I always feel that that must just be a weird vibe thing. Like it would take away a lot yeah. of the vibe of, of what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Yeah, that's why I've always struggled. I can't feel it when I'm on stage. I know that's a ridiculous thing, and and the health of your ears should be more important than that. I definitely, that was the last tour I'm going to take the mic because I I really have been suffering from from it with in regards to my tinnitus since coming back off tour. So that's definitely the last one where I take liberties, I think. I uh, need to take things a bit more seriously. Yeah, well, you only get one set of ears currently. Unless, well, uh, yes. <laughs> unless they come up with some sort of uh, ear transplant, hey, um, they can grow ears on the back of mice. I'm sure soon, you know, true. they can. I'm sure yeah. when they can do it, we definitely won't be rich enough to afford it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's great you went out on tour. So when's the next one, Joe? When's the next gig? Oh, not until March. We're off to the Republic of Ireland oh, in nice. March, but I've got some downtimes till then. In the cinema, in the cinema, in the studio <laughs> in December to record a record. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, right. to doing that. But uh, now it's all about working out what gear I want to take 
into the studio. Nice. Are you uh, recording at Small Pond or? No, no. We're going. We're going to the ranch. You know, the oh, the yeah. ranch is a lovely studio in uh, in the outskirts of Southampton. It has a has an apartment right next to it where you can stay, and then you know, just a really good, nice big drum room, which is kind of what we what we want. So yeah, very cool. Nice. Looking forward to that. Wow. Yes, indeed, indeed. I will, you know, just to, before we move on from it, one one small thing that I noticed from all the bands that I watched, because we do see, you know, as I was saying, like there's a big, um, a variety of sort of modern and more um, traditional bands. When, when we saw the bands that were using more digital gear, relying on things like Helix and stuff like that, mm-hmm. as opposed to the bands that were being a bit more old school, the old school bands did sound better. Like this technology has not worked its way down to 150 cap venues yet. Right. You know, the, uh, I really felt like there are, you know, like a couple of like fractions, absolutely fantastic band, utterly, utterly dependent on the front of house. And I felt that the, you know, the bassist who had really interesting tones, great tones relying on the HX stomp suffered a little bit from, you know from it because they were running you know, what direct and that yeah wow. yeah they were they were in ears they're very techy so it's it was like it it was all in ears front of house and all the tones were coming from a an hx uh right? stomp. Wow. um which is which is great and they're a really good band but i really noticed the difference between them and codices who played after them codices were just a smash in the face you know there was a real experience to watching that band mm. because the, the sound was hitting you it's coming at you rather than just you know Rather than it being entirely reliant on the on the front of house, yeah, no, it's it's um, that's interesting. I, I guess, yeah, until you get to a certain level and a certain PA and a certain feel, uh, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people saw like Rabia at playing for Stormzy at Reading, and it's like, yeah, when you're going through probably yeah. like a ten thousand watt PA system, um, yeah, exactly, you know, a, a quad cortex into a PA systems like that is going to be very different to an HX stomp in a relatively small venue, um, you know, where people are all over the place and there's maybe little control over, over the, where the PA system even sits. That's it. That's it. And, and I think Ruby is aware of that. Like he's a, he's a seasoned musician. And so, you know, when I, when, you know, I've played shows with, with Ruby at smaller, venues in brighton and london Rubia will be using real world amplifiers mm. for those situations you know and probably you know sticking with his real world effects but i'm sure when he's doing frog leap you know that he's relying entirely on a helix when he's uh, you know opening with stormzy he's using neural dsp you know it's 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 about knowing your venue which i think some bands can get very gear obsessed with the more modern gear and underestimate the sort of high school PAs that you get at some smaller mm-hmm. venues, you know. So, um, yeah, but yeah, that, that was that was my that was my takeaway. But certainly, when I came back from tour, there was a there was a lovely big box waiting for uh, for me, um, Matt, that had been delivered, and it included an IR two hundred and an SY two hundred. Indeed, Joe, I've been I've I've been really excited for you to try 
the IR200, which is is what I want to talk about, because I've been playing around with it a lot recently. And, uh, yeah, right. certainly don't want to go all uh, corporate for the next uh, sort of 15, <laughs> 20 minutes. But the reason it, in, it interested uh, me for you was the fact that, yes, you know, there's a Strymon Iridium, there's the Walrus, Mako series, the ACS, and they're all very good and, and loads of people use them. But um they aren't out there for bass players you know and i guess a lot of bass players mm. have used a sans amp and with ir200 yeah. you know we've got um uh, you know 12 15 different guitar amps and bass amps plus uh you know 156 different cabs but you can load in your own irs and i was like is this the modern day replacement for something like the sans amp well, it's certainly it's certainly an awful lot more versatile because, of course, you know, with something like the Sans amp, what you're dealing with is it's a single preamp. So you're, you know, you've got your single set of rotary controls that do a fixed thing, and you have to either like that sound or or you don't like that sound, and that's it. Whereas with the IR two hundred, of course, because it's dig- digital, I'm choosing what amplifier, what preamp. Mm that i'm i'm using from that from that entire range and i guess the the way that you're talking about it is exactly the way uh the way that i would use it i know this is kind of designed it's designed to go with its cab sims it's designed to be a recording tool or a tool that's going straight to front of house Mm -hmm. it's designed to replace your entire amp and be on the end of your pedal board or whatever something like that for people who want to use helix or gt1000 but still want to use real world effects it's that sort of Mm -hmm. thing but there's another use for it which i think for me was 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 much more useful because i still want to use real amps but you know there was a reason i took that little 500 watt class d head with me it's because for a start class d is is reliable you know in in comparison to a valve counterpart it's small it's lightweight and when you're touring that that stuff does actually matter a, a little bit more and um and the you know the the problem you've got of course with with the class D things exactly why I was using that BB one X is that they they sound very it's just it's just volume like it's just volume there's no there's there's no v- voice to it you know there's no character to the sound and using an IR two hundred because what you can do is you can tell the IR two hundred what you're sending to I don't have to send it with a cap I can tell the IR two hundred that I'm plugging into a bass amp in fact the IR two hundred even has preamp presets for everything like I could tell it I'm sending it to a bass cab with a tweeter in it and it and it adjusts the signal it sends for that and it has a whole range of like guitar amps as well as being able to send line level. And because you have two inputs and outputs, two outputs on the uh, on the IR two hundred, um, an A and a B, you can link those, or you can mix them up. And and you know, Rabia does a great video going into depth on the IR two hundred and how you can use it. And one of the ways he he uses it is he separates A and B, and he changes the cabs that he's that he's throwing, you know, on each side. So he's getting a real sort of cab blend. Whereas the way I'm using it. He's still sending it all to the same thing, whereas how I'm using it is I'm taking A, I'm turning off the cab sim by sending it to a bass amp, and I'm sending it into the front end of a bass head as the preamp, as the tone-shaping part of that pedal, as what a sans amp would do previously. But then B, I can still keep 
that line level and that cab sim and I can send that to front of house. So all of a sudden you've got a much, much better signal than if you were just sending DI out of a bass head. I mean, this doesn't just have to be for bass guitarists. Like, you know, guitarists, this is great for you as well. But for bassists, often, you know, we have DIs on our heads. DIs, most of the time, you know, before Dark Glass are probably one of the first companies to introduce it, we didn't have cab sims on our uh, on our DIs. So it's quite a brittle sound. Like they have to do quite a lot with it EQ-wise in the front of house to make a DI sound good. Um, whereas now I've got a cab sim of my choice. And so, you know, so sonically front of house is now my choice and it's exactly how I want to sound. And at the same time, I'm sending something straight to an amplifier without a cab sim. And the great part about the IR200, the thing that I struggle with everything from Helix to, you know, to, to the uh, the GT1000 core is live. I hate having to menu hop mm. to get to controls. I don't need to menu hop, not live. I don't mind doing it in my bedroom, but live, if I need to change something, it's because something's buggered and something needs to be sorted out immediately. I don't need to be hopping around and saving things. And that's where IR200 is so good because it actually has real world rotary controls for gain, volume and a three band yeah. EQ. Yeah, it's like a little, I, I think the way I see it is almost like a pedal board interface um in the fact that you know yeah you plug you could plug into a drive pedal uh into the front of the ir200 that's your preamp you've then got a stereo effects loop for your delays and reverbs and then you've got a stereo out and like you say you can split how you want to use it um and one cool little feature uh, which you you may discover uh, joe is that obviously with 150 irs on board and tens of thousands available for free or to buy on the internet it's quite easy to lose your way but you can actually mark your favorite ones with a little uh like a little asterisk um Ooh. by by clicking in a button and it just means that you can jump to your favorite ones instantly so if you're scrolling around and you find a couple you like for recording um you can always come back to them if you want to try different preamps and stuff but uh i found it great for a pedal board with loads of pedals and some ambient stuff and just running it clean and then just mm. going straight into a power amp or a pair of monitors yeah um, yeah exactly very you know very cool for that and there's a lot of people that have been using strymon iridium um for that for that same for that same reason but from a bass perspective i like the idea of just having it on a desk and and yeah just going straight yeah. out into the front of my interface or well, even the, the using USB, I... you can use it as an audio interface and just record straight through USB. Can you? you can. Ooh, that's handy. With, with loopback, it... so you can obviously then sort of reamp with that box as well, which is very cool. That's yes, that is absolutely reamping is uh, an uh, an essential if you're going to be using it like that, because that's what would make this less useful than a plugin. It, you know, if you couldn't do that, so mm. that's that's a really great feature. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the way I have it set up because I'm using it for more than just a preamp. The way I've got it set up at the moment is I'm running it, I'm actually running it out into an Ashdown Ant, which is the 200 watt power ramp, as you say, into a into a cab. But then I'm taking MIDI out of the um, out of the IR200 into the MS3. I'm just using the MS3 as a switcher mm -hmm. uh, in this case for, I'm not using any of the built-in bits and bobs. But because I've got the MIDI and because of, you know, the type of amps and, you know, the gain structures you've got, on the IR200, I've got it there as a clean amp, then I can 
switch to it being a light drive and then quite a heavily driven sort of ampeg style thing so it's it's doing the job of my drive pedal as well as my preamp thanks to the midi switching right which is very useful and and i can see this being even more useful for guitarists as well because the you've added this ambience feature which of course occurred on the the wazza airs on the headphones mm. Yeah, as well. This like uh, it's, it's like room ambience. Yeah, slightly different to obviously that because obviously that runs on uh, like a, a, a gyroscope. But yes, you know, a very very um, similar idea than just like um, it, it, well, there's actually two parts to it. Ambience that you've got, yeah, the reverb sounds. So the reverb sounds of like a room or anything that the cab or amp would sit into um but you can also if you plug into headphones it's got surround and it actually moves it like the wazer air there's no there's no gyro movement but it moves it away from your ears and places it in front of you so playing on headphones is a little bit more enjoyable because it feels like you're sitting in a room rather than having it blasted directly into your ears yeah, that's that's really interesting. Well, the, the thing that struck me about the ambient settings were just what kind of... They're pretty reasonable reverb tones. You know, they're, they're like you can... If, dear listener, if you watch Rabia's video on the IR200, at one point he absolutely dimes like the the room or the hall. And I'm like, that is... That is... That's a, that's a good washy reverb right there. Mm. That, of course again can be midi controlled and switched on and off um so the so it's not just a preamp and a drive and a front of house replacement you know and a di but it's also actually kind of a reverb if if what you require from a reverb is simple then you know it's got that built in as well which i thought was a, just a nice bonus well not yeah. uh not everyone needs big washy ambient reverbs all the time joe unfortunately we've had to come to learn that uh, some people <laughs> just want a um a little bit of uh uh just want a little bit of uh slap back like they're in a room yes yes exactly but uh but yeah so the ir200 an absolutely fantastic pedal i'm glad we focused on that one because the sy200 i still need some time with you know i I think it's 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 exactly what almost the what did you call the other one the sy1 sy1 yeah yeah this is almost to me this is what this pedal needed to be i needed a screen and yeah you know to be able to deep dive into those effects a little bit yeah i think um very plug and play both are very plug and play and the sy1 but was very 121 sounds kick it around see what happens sort of thing um but yeah people were buying two sometimes three going you know as you know we mentioned earlier um they need more than one sound and you know if you're out there on the road and it becomes an in key part of your rig you you need a way to save some presets and you know thankfully we we could offer that so you know there's a couple of new sounds but again interested to your feedback because i know that synth pedals aren't something you necessarily use in some ways because obviously a lot Mm. of what polymath does is you 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 do in some ways air on the sound of like traditional bass sounds using things like vibratos and delays and distortions but you're not going like i want my bass to sound like not a bass which is is, is what the sy is is absolutely doing 
Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to just kind of throwing myself into the SY. I had like a, you know, a bit of a go at it. Like, you know, obviously anyone can turn on the sequencer and, and sort of make a, an 80s sounding kind of uh, um, drive style mm. uh, backing track. But um, but I, I really want to spend some more time on the SY200, make some interesting noises on it. And I'll probably upload those, dear listener, on a podcast episode when I do. I just got so carried away with the IR200 because it was is so much fun mm. and so sort of accidentally versatile and and to be honest yeah those are the things i really care about are like uh n- like good tones <laughs> you know like those uh like transparent drivey tones those are the things that matter to me certainly for bass and so being able to really hone and create and shape those sort of tones and switch between them all on the ir200 was was great win-win yeah yeah i thought it was really good and um We'll uh, yeah, we'll ca- we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it next time. But I think hopefully yes, moving forward, you know, you mentioned something there about um, sounds. Hopefully, it'd be something that we could do in the future. And you know, I've always been keen to be able to have at least a few demo sounds uh, during a um, during the podcast. We've even got one pedal, and we can kind of play a few select sounds. I thought thought it'd be really good. I mean, if you're driving along, maybe yeah. you don't want a one minute fuzz pedal demo but always quite cool to to add in a few extra sound effects here and there yeah yeah exactly absolutely now uh now that is actually all the time we have on uh on this week's episode of the guitar nerds podcast um i i I was supposed to um talk all about uh um Ethiopian jazz. I told listeners I was going to talk about Ethiopian Joe, jazz this episode. Let's, let's, I got really into let's it. Let's spend some time. We've we've got some time. Let's let's spend ten minutes on because um, I have yeah I've gotten really into uh, like Fela Kuti, which is you know he was like the godfather of Af- Afrobeat, um, and you know one of the most popular figures in Nigeria. And again, brought a lot of stuff in terms of like more trad jazz into um, the 60s and and onto the 70s. But there's some fantastic players from from that part of the world. Some really, really fantastic players. Um, And, you you know, one of my favourite records, although slightly different, but in terms of musicianship, again, coming from that sort of background is um, Graceland by Paul Simon, which is all these amazing uh, sort of world musicians, you know, a lot out of kind of um, Africa and, and, and countries within, within Africa. And yeah, this kind of jazz background. Um, yeah. Yeah. But any, anything that stands out you in terms of playing or sound Joe? Well, I mean, dear listener, so basically every every time we go on we go on tour, we uh we we pick like a a new thing that we want to learn about in the van, a new type of music and we'll listen to that non-stop and sort of go through the things and someone had suggested Ethio jazz or Ethiopian jazz because it's it, it it's just so interesting. So, um, you know, we spend a a, a lot of time uh, listening to uh, Mulatu Astatke, who's basically the fellow who really introduced and, and defined um, e- Ethiopian jazz in the throughout the sixties. He's got a uh, um, Ethiopics. Uh, there are a series uh, a series of volumes of Ethio jazz uh, that you can listen to on on Spotify. 
with him. And they're great. They're kind of the the origins of it. And I really enjoyed the sort of progression. In more modern times, we've seen Ethiopian jazz uh, become popular in France and actually blend with with French prog. Um, to, there's a there's a band called You Can Dance um, who have it's essentially the musicians on it the band it's an Ethiopian singer an Ethiopian jazz singer and then a French prog band using Ethiopian jazz modes but with a more a more rock orientated feel to it which I really love basically blending those two things accidentally creates polymath like <laughs> more sort of the Mars Volta esque stuff it was. Uh, Without us knowing, we were like, oh, that's not too similar from, you know, kind of what, what <laughs> we do. But then the 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 scales or the, the, the modes that they use in Ethiopian jazz is 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 very much um it, they're they're pentatonic they're five note scales and they you know their their scales can be viewed as like a subset of the natural minor. Um so you get like a the first, the second, a minor third fifth and then a minor sixth mm-hmm. um and and it was a satke who who a statke who blended what was the those those five note pentatonic ethiopian scales with the sort of the 12 note scales that we're you know that we're more used mm-hmm. to in in western music and it just uh, it's it's spooky uh a little bit middle eastern sounding um uh it, it just has this uh mysterious nature to the scales but still in a really sort of haunting minory way and it just it just makes for interesting stuff like your ear will just notice everything's just a little bit different a little bit uh you, you know a little bit unusual i i just think it's the the most wonderful genre and uh and yeah like a really interesting you know they've essentially three major um scales which i think uh uh tizata amber cell uh anki hoy um and i can't remember the fourth one but but those are you know that there aren't they're, they're very simple to learn there are plenty of youtube videos out there dear listener and if you're just looking to get into something like a little different or come up with new ideas be refreshed i i recommend it thoroughly mm-hmm. As a as a genre to listen to, and as you know, some cool simple scales to learn to freshen up your playing. Yeah, I um, I although I haven't listened to that specifically what you're talking about, Joe, and I'd, I'd be very keen uh, to hear it if you sent some links. Um, I would highly recommend if you're yeah if you're into guitar, if you're just into music, Spotify does have some really good world music playlists, and you can hear some incredible guitar playing. Um, you know, in various styles, even like blues, jazz, rock, you know, from other parts of the world, they take inspiration um, from, I, I guess, more Western or, or, you know, more English or American music, but they have their own twist because of their culture and, you know, the nature of how they play or what, even what gear is available to them. Um, there's, yeah, some some really good some really good world music stuff on on uh, on Spotify that's just worth checking out. Um, yeah, good playlists come up every yeah, now and then. I, I, I think I got psychedelic Afrobeat the other day, um, oh, nice. which was uh, which was a, yeah really really good listen. Uh, it was kind of yeah a lot of again Af- 
African kind of Afrobeat stuff, but fused with uh, psychedelia uh, influences. And there's a great record, I guess, to finish. There's a great record, um, which I'm going to try and find the name of, um, where it was basically ah oh, yes so i think i maybe i've mentioned this before but there's a record i think you can listen to it on youtube called saigon rock and roll vietnamese classic tracks from 1968 to 1974 and it was basically a bunch of vietnamese bands that came out of the vietnam war that picked up tapes that the gis from america were listening to of popular music then and then basically doing their own covers and versions of it. And what you get is Jimi Hendrix, if it if they'd come out of Vietnam. Um, this sounds wonderful. And, I, uh, I love the idea of yeah, this. Yeah, Sa- Saigon Rock and Saigon Roll. Saigon Rock and Roll. Vietnamese classic gonna, tracks. Definitely check it, it out. It sounds great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check it out. Wow, that's brilliant. Uh, but that, uh, that, that is all the time we have on this week's episode of the Guitar Nerds podcast. You can, of course, join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash guitar nerds for an entire extra episode every week. You can become a Patreon supporter for as little as a dollar a month. At the dollar tier, you'll get this episode ad-free and early, normally early. Uh, the $5 tier uh, will get you access to uh, our Patreon specials and our entire back catalogue. And $10 will get you the lot. Plus, I'll sing you my thanks at the end of every episode. Find us on all your favourite social media platforms and join the guitar nerds group on facebook to get involved in our weekly episode discussion thanks for listening you've been lovely we've been the guitar nerds farewell powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>